little bit off course, but well, not all, completely off course. I mean, legit, like top five. But there probably won't be. There's probably one in there that might be a, a wrench in it. But uh, okay. But yeah, so uh, I'll uh, get her going here. Uh, so, all right, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode nine of the Hockey Toolkit. I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. Are you sure this is nine? Is it nine? I don't know. I feel like maybe it's ten. Is it ten? <sighs> Damn it! Hold on. You know, it's just it's you know, they become so popular so quickly. That I know. It's just a whirlwind. It's a whirlwind. I gotta now. Now I have to look it up because I keep changing and screwing it up in my own stuff. So, let's see here. We are on. No, this is episode. Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode ten of the Hockey nice. Toolkit. I am Trevor DeCarlo. <laughs> I am Andrew Trimble, the co-host of episode ten. Episode ten. Yes, I almost did a Ron Burgundy of I'm Trevor DeCarlo. But, uh, but yes, episode 10, uh, it's actually, uh, it's going to be a little bit more of a unique, uh, format today, a little bit more different than usual, but, uh, before we jump into all that fun stuff, coach, how's it going? Good, good. We're almost at the playoffs here. We got our playoff date set for our EHL team that starts on the ninth. Our P team has a game tomorrow, actually. And then, uh, and that, that'll determine a big part of their playoff seedings. Our 16s, their high school season's almost done, so the kids will be coming back and practicing for about two weeks before they head to Buffalo for nationals. And my son's season is uh, pretty much at the end there. there. So it's uh, been a fun year, and you know we're looking forward to a nice little spring year in New Hampshire. How about yourself, Trevor? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, season, at least spring season, is going to be picking up here, and uh, we actually have tryouts starting, um, let's see, Sunday. And Monday, and uh, those are the Mondays, the callback day, and then after that, a um, little bit of a bur- little bit of a break. I will be going out and seeing the uh, Big Ten semifinals out in Minnesota. So nice, uh, yeah. So uh, and then I'll be coming back and uh, just hit the ground running with uh, with my my squirt team, my nine year olds. <laughs> I'll have so that'll uh, be yeah. awesome. Yeah, I can't complain. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. So. It's kind of hockey here, but uh, what is going on with professional hockey right now? Now it's trade deadline, so it's silly season. I know that the Devils are, are you know, my team. They're they're loading up. We got big Timo Meyer coming in. We didn't really give up too many roster players, so that the kind of roster stays intact. You're just adding to it. I like Zetterland. I think um, the young defenseman they gave away is going to be good players, but. They keep the core intact, and they keep their high, you know, their their biggest youth assets like Luke Hughes and Simone Nemech in the building. So it's exciting to see what's going on with and Chicago. Holy smokes, you got the biggest news of all. I know. I, I end of an era. I know the end. I mean, we still have Taves, but he's pretty much done for the year. But yeah, Patty Kane, he's uh, now in. He's now a New York Ranger, which again, you know, as we were talking a little bit earlier. I'm happy for him that he gets to go to a team that's actually trying to compete and win. You know, the, the Blackhawks have been a dumpster fire this year, and, you know, he's he's been a real trooper, I think, because he's never really had, like, a quality number two center, and every time he gets one, they just traded him away. Um, it's like, Taves always gets whoever he wants to play with, but it's like Kane, like, oh, yeah, we'll give you a break it for, like, two years, and then, boom, he's gone. So I'm... 
I'm happy for him. I, it's cool that he gets to go back and play with the bread man a little bit. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. The Rangers, it's going to be a tough East. I mean, the West is going to be, you might have an easier, whoever goes to the finals from the West might have a little bit easier run there than uh, anyone in the East because I would say the Bruins maybe before the trade deadline. But right now, I mean, Rangers, Devils, I mean, Lightning are trading asinine stuff for, you know, one guy who had a, one great season so far, but uh, but they're always good. So I'm looking forward they, to uh, – You know, they, they, everybody's talking about the Bruins because of their unbelievable year, which it, it is. It's like almost a historic type of year the way they've had. And then the assets that are being accumulated by, you know, the Rangers and Toronto and the Devils and, like you said, the Lightning. But the team that's still been at the top, right, the Bruins' heels – they're not adding anybody. Maybe they don't need to. The, the Hurricanes are pretty sick, too. I got uh, – that is my – between them and the Lightning, my second favorite team, only because I got family in Carolina. And, uh, yeah, it's – again, it was a big 2-0 Teravine and ex-Blackhawk. They uh, threw away again uh, <laughs> early, but uh, – not threw away, but traded. Uh, he was – I really liked them watching them play, uh, the bunch of jerks that they are. But uh, it it's going to be – I couldn't even tell you. I, I I wouldn't even put money down. I mean, I might put money down, but I couldn't tell you which team it is right now. I might have to do it before the trade deadline before someone gets, like, one more superstar. I think, what did I just see? Somebody else just got traded in the last, like, I don't know, half hour or hour. I mean, it's just, like, nonstop. My phone's been going off with, oh, hey, guess what? This guy's got traded, or this guy's just traded. Wow. Guys I didn't even know could get traded. Um, Not Brian, but uh, Jonathan Quick got traded. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that's that's pretty unreal. <laughs> that's that's a shocker. But uh, so yeah, but uh, yeah, today's episode uh, USA versus Canada hockey. Uh, it's not your typical USA versus Canada where we're talking about like Olympics or anything like that, but more or less like the development models. And um, we got a great interview with uh, you know Justin Sorrell. Uh, definitely really enjoyed you know hearing about him uh, and his you know development is he's from upper uh not upper but say the south southern ontario yep same town as uh connor mcdavid actually wow wow new markets new market guy all right so he's the second most famous person from uh that area, <laughs> I, think, right? I think he uh you know justin played uh, the second best league in the world and you know played in you know is an ontario league champion but i think there's probably 50 nhl guys from new market <laughs> i'd have to look and up I, their league prospects you know, it was actually going back, and like I guess I looked at it. He played with some some players that really, like, again, murdered row, just players that guys that went up, and including him. I mean, I know he didn't get any chance at the show, but just the guys that he played with. I mean, I'm sure he's got some great stories that we could oh, even sure. have time to dabble into, but I'm sure if you get a couple of beers, and I'm sure there's some great ones. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny time of the year. You know, like, try, this is tryout season. You got tryouts coming up. My, my seven year old has tryouts. Uh, you got tryouts for junior teams and all that kind of stuff coming up. And people want to know the, the, the benefits and the downsides for different organizations and what works for your organization. So I think this is a good topic to discuss, not only from the perspective of what happens here in the United States and what happens in Canada, but what we're seeing in different organizations and what can make your organization attractive compared to other organizations. So, you know, let's give a background. Trevor, 
with your organization, what does a typical week look like and what is the development model at the youth level for your organization in Chicago? So the one that I currently work with, um, we're let's just talk at the under 15U level. So we'll go uh, 14U and under. Uh, the players are on the ice one night a week uh, for about, I think, 50 minutes for a skills session that's ran by a dedicated skills instructor. Um, and then from there, they've got two more practices slots. Um, I think they're about an hour apiece. And then they have a uh, just like a home ice slot that they can use for either a game, uh, like a league game. And if they don't schedule anything that one, they get it as a just a regular practice slot. So you're looking at up to for sure four times a week on the ice. Um, and we also have one night a week of off ice that is ran through um, the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, um, who basically, you know, they do a lot of like rehabs and stuff, but it's also just like, again, all of your off ice needs. So that's what it looks like at the youth level that in the program that I'm with right now. Um, you know, my season though, with the uh, midget level, we were on the ice twice a week. Um, and well, as well as off ice, our practice slots were just longer. And that's honestly, that seems to be pretty much par for the course for most programs is, um, you know, you're looking at three hours of practice a week slash you might get that skill session as one of your hours. Um, and then, you know, you got your game slot on the weekend. What about up by you guys? Our, our program is a little bit different in terms of we like uh, compartmentalize a little bit what kids are looking for. So, you know, we have a split season midget team. Uh, they practice twice a week. One of those practices is a skill session run by our junior coaches. Um, and then they have a games, you know, about probably about in the 15 to 20 game range, including playoffs. Uh, then we have our, you know, our tier two program, which has a U16 or U, and we'll have a U18 next year. And they have three practices a week plus games. It includes a skill session. And then our junior model, we call it our DENA development model. Uh, that's two ice sessions a day. And that's at the junior level, our EHL premier and our EHL team. And they practice basically five days a week. Uh, with uh, usually two games on the weekend, depending upon, you know, our opponents and things like that. So it's a little bit different. But one of the things I I, I always took from our conversations with, with Justin um, coming from the Canadian school was um, how it's more town-based. So, like, you really have to petition to leave that town if you want to play for a different program. And I think that creates kind of a unique uh, scenario where you know your competition, you know who you're competing against, and you can build some really great friendships and you can build some really great teams when you're all staying together from, you know, the time of year seven to maybe year 15 or so. Uh, whereas, it, you know, and certainly in our area, it's very different where it's kind of like you have kids who go different programs every single year to either follow a coach or try something new because there's no kind of um, there's no kind of protection for those towns. What's it like in Chicago? So Chicago, we have it's not community based. And I think. The closest you would find to that in the states would be Minnesota, as we've talked about before. Yeah. But in Chicago, it's it's kind of the same thing. Where with what you said, you know, you can bounce around. We do have uh, the governing body for Illinois hockey does have rules in place where you only get a certain amount of choices for your entire youth career, um, and that's two choices up until your first year of midgets. So your first year of fifteen U. Um, and then you get one more, um, 
And that's to kind of cut down on clubs, kids bouncing club, the club, you know, coach chasing. We also don't have it where coaches or players can go. Like, say any kid that I coached last this past year, even though I'm coaching sports next year, say I was to go to a different club and coach the same level uh, where, you know, a 15-year-old could still play for me at 16U. Uh, technically, the league rules state, or not league, but the governing body's rules state that they cannot follow me for, they cannot play for me for an entire year. So, uh, now, do clubs sometimes fudge that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sometimes they'll have a coach, like, I've seen it happen with some parent coaches, where they'll follow, like, a parent coach who was a head coach or an assistant, and now they're assistant here, um, and there really shouldn't be the kids on the team, um, but, you know, whatever it may be, but... You don't see it too often, and there is a you know an appeals process for the two choices. You know you can potentially get a third choice, say at your 12U or 14U level, but there's it's really difficult because again they're, they're trying to stop kids from bouncing from one club to the other. Um, like some of the reasons might be like basically just whatever type of hardship. I've seen it for kids whose parents have gotten divorced. You know, mom lives. You know. Now we're north of where the rink's at, and there's a rink that's 15 minutes closer, or, you know, there may be health reasons for someone in the family or the kid or whatever. But um, those are that's kind of where it is. Um, I actually like that kids can't bounce around too much um, because, again, I've, you know, started off at a small club, and it was, you know, trying to retain your, your talented players where you've got clubs, the big clubs, who want your top players and they can afford to, oh, okay, we lose two or three kids because we pissed them off because we took this kid. They're, um, you know, they, they, they can do that where if I lost one of our top players, you know, that might start a trickle down effect and some people might get worried and then they bail and go somewhere else. So yeah, that, I mean, that's what the landscape out here in Chicago is. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, you know, if I could create a perfect template, I would have, uh, you know, a community based team where you, you know, you could have a competitive team with the same coach or similar coaches. Absolutely. Um, you know, the kids can have those 10 year relationships where they grow up together. It, that's, that's what I'd like to have, but inevitably we live in a democracy, right? Free market society. <laughs> yes. a free market society and programs don't offer the same things. And as a parent now, you know, I look at what is offered at one program to what's offered at the other program and you want the best for your kids. So you kind of make the decisions based upon that, you know, it, it brings up a great question, I think, you know, with with the ADM and you if you had to construct with that different with the Canadian mindset and with the American mindset and the ADM and all those things, if you could have, have to con- construct a perfect program run by Trevor DiCarlo, what would that program look like? Well, I mean, if we're talking so we're talking travel level hockey, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be like triple A, just like the the ideal model. The ideal model is that, you know, I, I do like a lot of the stuff that they do with the ADM. Let's, I'll put that out there. I am, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, you know, the, the ideal model for me would be, again, younger ages, it's very skills and concepts focused. Um, you know, mites or, sorry, you know, everybody's trying to get away from the names, but U8 and under, you know, even U10, I have no problem with kids playing half ice. Um, as you get older, then you're starting to teach them, you know, you're still teaching concepts. So it's a lot of skills and concepts at the younger ages. And when we're talking, you know, about U14 and up, you can start introducing a little bit more, I guess you could say systems, but 
I would want continuity throughout the whole program. So you've got to, yep. you know, teach at U8s, U10s. You know, U8, you're teaching them A, B, and C so that the coach at the U10s can teach them, build off that, and can teach them, you know, D, E, and F. And then, you know, get the uh, U14 or U12s, whatever, U14s. And co- that coach is building off of that. Um, that way you're not reinventing the wheel. And again, there's always going to be a little bit of, you know, review, but you're able to expound more and hopefully develop more. Cause it's no different than when you're taking your kids to school, you know, they're not going to teach Barrett. I hope not. You're not going to have him, you know, do long division and multiple. I don't even do long division anymore, but multiplication <laughs> before he even knows how to count to 10 or before he even knows how to add and subtract, you know, 10 from seven. Like these are things that you need to know. Um, and I think a lot of clubs, you know, they just, they don't have a framework. And that's one thing that I I advocated for when I was running a club was, as I just said, you know, I want that continuity. When I went and talked to the coaches at preseason, you know, meetings, like, hey, here's our, here's basically our coach's handbook. This is what I'm expecting. You can, however you get there, that's fine. But this is where the road needs to lead. Um, and that would be my ideal program um you know my my development you know setup um but again it's you, you got to have total buy-in um and again sometimes you might be sacrificing wins for uh development in an ideal world between you and i and most at qualified hockey coaches we're fine with that but the problem is that you've got the customers who see that win-loss record, see that league, you know, that t- league title, uh, you know, whatever league they're in, you know, the quadruple A, as we said before, or whatever. <laughs> they see that and they think, oh, okay, you know, that matters more to them. And and, and that's, it's unfortunate. It's a byproduct of our society. But again, I don't care what, how well your UA team does. I, I personally For don't. Sure. Do the kids come back and are they getting better and are they having fun? But what about you? What what does your ideal model look like? I think that's a great point. I, I, the two things I completely agree with is what the, the metric for retention. You know, certainly at U eight scores, in my opinion, don't really matter. Uh, you know, Bears been on the positive end and the other end of, of lopsided scores, and it really doesn't matter. But it's about retention at those younger age. Does the kid when he end the season sign up for another season? That's the biggest metric at U eight. Um, and then you said continuity. I think that's really important, too. We have a great U16 coach who's going to be coaching our U18s next year, John Guerin. And, uh, you know, he asks questions of our, our junior coaches all the time. He wants to have run the same four checks and D-zone structure and similar drills because he wants the kids to move up within the program. And he's done a great job of doing that. And, you know, that team is bound for nationals this year, you know, in about that's a month. Fantastic. So, so, but he, he does it. It's it's all on the same page with our, our junior coaches. And I, we, we don't have U8 and U10. It's a, it's a rink rule that doesn't allow us to do that. But uh, that's really important. In terms of, like, the overall structure of the program, I think, you know, some programs, you know, have three practices a week. I think that's a little much for, like, U8 and U10. I like it better two practices a week, one being a skill session. When you get to, like, U12, I think you can start to move to three practices a week. Um, but Justin alludes to a big thing about full ice practices. And I think when you get to U12, one of those practices a week should be full ice practices because it's a full ice game and you need to get on a full sheet. Uh, that doesn't mean that the skill session usually is, you know, station based and things like that. But 
full ice practices, once you get to be 12, 13, 14, kids should be doing full ice drills, in, in my opinion. And you can – one of the big things, too, that separates Justin, makes him such a good coach, is he's a great uh, strength and conditioning coach. And I think if you have a program that adds that component off the ice for that long-term athletic development – where they're doing ladders, they're doing box jumps, they're doing plyometrics at, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're going to build better athletes. So I think incorporating that in the program is really important. No, for sure. I, and again, I, when I've coached, even, you know, with the older teams, that being said, you know, I've, I coached Peewees, so we're talking at that 12U level. Uh, you know, I was there, I've coached them for like four or five years. And even at that level, I agree with the full ice, um, but I even break up my practices into stations where I've had it where I've got, you know, myself and two assistants, you know, one's in one end zone, one's in the other, and one's in the neutral zone, and we're working on, you know, some type of skill, maybe probably more like skating, puck handling in the middle, and then working on some type of, you know, concepts with shooting and passing and skating still in the other end zones. But I do do agree that, you know, it should be more full ice at that level. Um, But again it's also an expensive sport. So clubs, you know, sure. you know, I think the best thing that we've, when we didn't have it, I think the next best thing was being able to have what we call rollover ice. So it would be an hour and a half session. You would go out for the first 40 minutes and you would have, you're the first team, you would have the full ice for 40 minutes. You can do whatever you want for 40 minutes. You know, your final 20 minutes, um, that probably won't even make it to the right time. Uh, but Basically, nope. the, I know the what other, you mean, though. That's great. But the other team would come on, and then you'd do half ice. So maybe it wasn't, you know, you'd have like an, you would have an hour slot. So it was whatever, two hours. Um, but it was over a course of an hour and a half slot. Your first half hour. There we go. So I can, I'll go back and edit that out there. Um, no, but that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's really good. We we did that. Uh, I coached the 16s um, last year, then the year prior. Uh, and with Coach Garen, when he was coaching the 15s and the 14s, I think, I forget how that worked, but uh, we did a similar thing where we were all together doing full ice drills for the first 15 minutes. Then we'd split ends. Mm-hmm. He would run his practice. I would run my practice. And then we'd reconvene for the final 10 minutes for either a small area game or what I thought was really great was we, uh, on Fridays, we would do a power play or penalty kill scenario. So his team's on the penalty kill, my team's on the power play. Maybe it's a five-minute major five on four or five on three, <laughs> right. whatever we work it out, but then we flip sides. So each team had a chance at that. And uh, I thought that worked really, really well. And that's kind of a similar concept where you're, you got two teams on the ice, but you're combining a lot of those same concepts. Right. And again, it was, so that's what it was. It was basically you had an hour slot and the first half hour was for your team only. And then the last half hour, both teams were on the ice and you'd basically run a half ice practice. And then at the, the hour marker, your team would get off and the other team would then have the full ice for the other 60 minutes. So that was one way we were able to, you know, keep costs down. Um, it yep. wouldn't cost as much, but I think that's just the biggest issue is that you run into down here where, you know, uh, coach Justin was saying, you know, just how cheap it was with those community base. And I remember when I was up in Sarnia a couple, a couple years ago, we went and did the uh, CCM showcase up there in Port Huron and Sarnia. And, um, I remember we were in just a small rink, one one sheet. It was a nice facility, and I remember asking the uh, ZAM driver, I'm like, hey, you know, what's it cost for, you know, prime time slot here at this rink? And he goes, like, 250 bucks an hour. Now, like, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, I-, I can't even get that at a discount for, like, a studio sheet. 
And here's this guy's like, oh yeah, that's our prime time slot. So, but that was the benefit of the community based, um, you know, aspect. But and the more rinks you, the more rinks you have, like he talked about, uh, you know, having so many rinks in a certain area. The more rinks that you have, the more availability of ice, the less it's going to cost per ice session. So if you're in, you know, I remember hearing in, in New Jersey or, or in California, some of the ice sheets are five or six hundred bucks an hour because there's less ranks and there's more t- more kids playing. So it's, it comes at a premium. But I think that that's a good segue to bring on, you know, our interview with Justin Sorial. Justin is a uh, five-year pro player. He played for – well, he grew up in the greater Toronto area in Newmarket, Ontario. He played for the Peterborough Peets. They won, he won an Ontario Hockey League championship with some great players playing alongside of him. He was a uh, – his I think it was his third year of – with the, with the, uh, with the Pete's, he, uh, had almost a 30 goal season and was poised for a great pro career in which he played for the Hartford Wolfpack and Charlotte checkers before an injury, uh, ended his career. Uh, now he's coaching youth hockey in New Hampshire and he's one of the best guys I know. So I think this is a good segue to bring on the man himself. And we... All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Justin Sorial. He is a former Ontario hockey league champion five-year pro hockey, and now he's coaching youth hockey here in the United States. And we want to bring him on to the podcast to get his perspective on the difference between Canadian youth hockey and what it's like here in the States. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Now, you know, like I alluded to in the in the intro, uh, what have you seen? You've been coaching the U.S. here now for, I'm going to guess, eight years? So- uh, it's actually, believe it or not, time flies 10 years. 10 years in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Time flies. Yeah, I remember seeing you and your little pup and you're going to WWE and body slamming people. <laughs> and now you're, now you're at the 10 year reunion. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Hit the decade. Yeah. That's it. It's crazy. I can't believe it's already that long. So tell me what you've seen in your 10 years of experience, the difference between Canadian youth hockey and then what you're seeing here in the United States. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's a few, obviously, it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty far removed from being in the Canadian youth hockey market. I haven't been involved in it, uh, you know, I, in, I guess 20 plus years since since when I was playing. So um, there's obviously a lot of differences, uh, I'm sure, that have just happened because of over the course of time. You know, some of the things that I didn't see when I was a kid was necessarily the, the, the focus on skills that there is now. Uh, but I think that's probably happening in Canada as well. Like, you know, just to give you sort of an idea when I was a kid, practice was practice. Like you didn't, you worked on structure, you worked on team development, you worked on uh, whatever, a flow drill type of thing. Whereas now you're, you're seeing skills incorporated more and more uh, into, I guess, into team practices and then into programs structures as well. Um, the biggest, probably there's a couple of things, but one of the things that was definitely different and eye-opening to me was was just sort of like the release program uh, being released from a program um where in the states it was you know you once you've paid your tuition you can head to any program you want you know as long as you're willing to make the drive or willing to make the commute you can go anywhere you want in where i grew up and i don't know if it's across the board in canada but in ontario it was you played in your area like you played for your town and your town would have different levels, you know, whether they had their house league team, they had, depending on how populated it was, you had single A, double A, triple A, and that was it. And if you didn't make, you'd, you know, you'd 
go out for your tryouts and hope to make the triple A team. And if you didn't make it, you would try out for the double A team. And if you didn't make it, you would try out for the single A team and, and so on. And you just stayed in your town. Um, there was a few exceptions to that, but I mean, you're talking, I had a kid on my team that, you know, had to pretend to live with his grandparents basically to, <laughs> to get out of the area he was at. So I think there's pros and cons to that. I mean, <clears throat> the, the pro is you end up with, uh, it just being simpler. You end up with kids that can make lifelong friends. Cause maybe they're on the same team, same group of kids since they're, you know, eight years old through their 15 years old. So that is a big positive. Uh, the con is if you end up as a nine-year-old having a lunatic coach who, you know, only plays his kid and hates you and yells at every, you know, you, it, it's pretty hard to get away from him. So pros and cons to that. Um, it makes it, like I said, a lot simpler. It's not like you're seeing in this here where this time of year, there's, you can see parents, they're, they're, they're getting gray hairs because they're trying to figure out where should their kid go? Where's everybody going? What's the next best thing? Um, Whereas, like I said, where I grew up, it was just go out and try out for your, for your town team. And if you made it, if you made the triple A team, great. If you didn't, you, you know, you went to double A, you went to single A, whatever it was. Um, and on that note too, it, it makes it so that every kid kind of finds a home because you know, like wor worst case you're playing house league. Whereas you can see a lot here where, uh, you know, you have parents and kids trying to figure out if they're, if they're not necessarily a, an elite kid. Uh, where am I going to go? That's going to have a team. Like, do you have a goalie? Do you have a coach? Uh, whereas that that's a lot, I guess, simpler and cleaner in Canada. But like I said, you could, you have your con too of, you could end up in a nightmare situation. So that's definitely um, a big one that, that's different. Is that sort of not to, you know, maybe bring it back to you a little bit. Is that the same in sort of the Atlantic area? Like do you find is New Jersey sort of similar to that or do they, make it where you play in your town or has it changed? I got a couple years on you, but you know, like, I mean, when I was, when I was a kid or is this, is this a new thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had, we had a guy with a, you know, with the newspaper strapped to his legs and nets, you know, it was, uh, it was a different world back then. Yeah. But it, you know, like there weren't as many options when I was growing up, uh, you know, you, you played for the brick hockey club where you had to drive like 30, 45 minutes to go to the next, place but now they have so many rinks in new jersey that it makes it a little bit more accessible mm -hmm. but you kind of hit on something that was really interesting with you know with with skills-based practices and you did flow drills mm -hmm. and things like that you know there's a lot of we, we had joe britannia on and he talked about you know goaltender training and having to track the puck on the full ice yeah what in canada your experience did you as a kid did you have a lot of full ice practices or did they have more of an adm style or how did that look in canada when you were growing up always full ice so that's that's a huge difference is we always yeah. have full ice practices and i think there's a few things that you that are significantly different and, and some things that are definitely better because of that is just kids that understand uh how to play the game the right way i think one of the biggest issues that i have with with the adm model and, and i think it definitely has its, its advantages but is the fact that they don't stress that thinking the game is, is a skill enough. It's, it's more, and I know they talk about small area games and you know, that, that helps you get into space and find and support and all that stuff. But it's, it's different when it's on a full ice sheet and you're talking about, you know, the different things that happen in, in a full ice game. Um, so I think that makes a difference, but I also think that the number one thing that suffers because of it is passing and 
yeah. these kids can make maybe a five foot pass, 10 foot pass. Cause they're put into these groups of six, you know, you cut the ice into six parts or whatever you want to do. And I know I'm going to, you know, maybe somebody's going to say, Oh, you can do your skills differently where there's, yeah, you can, but a lot of these kids can't pass more than 15 feet. You know, they can't make a cross ice pass. They can't go from wing to wing or D to D it's because they don't practice it. And, and unfortunately some programs are so skill based where like, I know a program, I'm not going to mention obviously who they are, but, um, where they're it's okay we do it all yeah. the time where, where, where they're set up with you can name drop yeah the team would have two sheets a week of skills and then every other week they would do a team practice so all they were doing was skills so they never passed the puck more than eight feet on some butchered ice because everyone's been no not to interrupt it you know, and, and they're out there. Not to interrupt, what age group would that be? Was that all age groups uh, or was that, that was, just... Yeah, uh, that was, I mean, that was, yeah, that squirt through Bantam, really. I mean, the mites were on a different okay. program Sorry. a little bit. Yeah. But part of the problem with that too is you end up with teams that have different levels and different ages on at the same time. And you, you can't always separate perfectly where you end up with five, six kids that are the same level. Um, so it ends up where you might have a kid who goes and he's in a group where he's maybe ahead of them. And the entire time he doesn't actually make a play. Uh, and wow. you know, it's so, so I think that's a big difference is we always had full ice. Uh, and I understand why it doesn't happen here. I think, you know, obviously one of the big reasons is at least where I grew up is um, the majority of the rinks were, were town owned. Um, so there wasn't necessarily like, you know, it would be, a, I'm assuming subsidized a little bit by the government to make ends meet, you know, making sure that, the you know the lights stayed on the ice stayed cold all those things whereas a lot of the programs here are privately owned or and, and the uh the rinks are privately owned so you have to you know you have to do what you have to do um to make sure that that the the ends meet so that the, the building stays open so that's definitely a big difference between the two um but yeah i mean any chance you can have more of that i think team and full ice stuff is obviously i think i think a benefit Sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that, one is, you know, we've talked about it and we have a mutual friend who's in a similar situation, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Derek Becker, who's a kind of a late bloomer. And you, you've always talked about how you were a late bloomer, how at seven, 16 or 17, you were playing a pretty low level junior. Then you've, you know, you developed there and you got an opportunity at the highest league in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, what, what have you seen in your 10 years of coaching in the United States? Some of the best stories of kids who maybe struggled in their early years, but came on kind of late and that development really blossomed at a later age. Yeah. What, what are some good, good stories you could describe? Well, the two, there's two kids that come to my mind right off the bat. And it's not necessarily that they struggled because they still played, uh, they still played high level. Like, uh, you know, I think when they came to me, when I was coach, I coached them for U16. I think they came from top gun. So like they were still playing at a, at a high level. Um, but just where they were at, the, the, the kids, the names of the, are Alex Steves and, and Joe Dunlap. And Alex is, he's in the American League now. He's played games with the Leafs in the NHL. Uh, Joe's at Ohio State now. And just basically, you know, I don't know if they, if they see this. I hope they don't take this the wrong way. But the, when I got them at first, I, I don't know that I saw it. You know, like I had Alex penciled in to be my fourth line centerman. And, and by the end of the year, he was my probably my top point getter first line center. And, 
you know, he was 15 then. Um, so it's not necessarily a true 18 and 19 year old late bloomer, but, um, same sort of thing for, for, for Joe Dunlap. Like he came in, he was on the team at 15 and I, I didn't play him very much. Like he, he struggled to find ice time. Um, not cause he wasn't, you know, a hard worker or anything like that. He's just a little bit undersized and hadn't developed yet. And then he took sort of a bit slower route than Alex and, and did, you know, both years of 16s and then went off to New Hampton and he wasn't really, <clears throat> he wasn't really overly sought after necessarily at New Hampton, um, but then started to hit his stride. And then obviously ended up at the U in the USHL and then off at Ohio state. So those are probably be two of the, the bigger ones that jump out uh, to me right off the bat. Um, but yeah, there's always those kids that, and I think that's one thing that it maybe is done right with adding in the U18 um, is it gives those kids an, a little bit longer runway. Whereas if you're not good enough, you know, like you, you just talked about the lower level junior league that I played in, if you're, I wasn't good enough at 16. So I ended up playing in a, in a, a junior C level, which is, they're great people. And, and I, I really enjoyed my year, but you know, we practiced once a week and played uh, every Friday, Saturday. And there was, you know, you could have kids in your team that were 22 years old, like even older than, than you can, a year older than you can have in, you know, in the EHL or, and, you know, uh, the NAL or the USHL. Uh, so, you know, I had a, a kid, two kids on my team that were seniors in college and I was just turning 16. So I don't know if that's the best for your development. It would probably would have been better for me to play with some 17 year olds and continue to push myself that way and, and be more of my peers. So I think there's, there's definitely stories like that across the board though, of kids, you know, just hanging around and making sure they're the hardest working kids and continuing to put the work in. And as you get older, you see it. A lot of these top kids fall off. They just don't put the work in. They yeah. don't want to, they don't necessarily want to be players. They've been the best players when they were younger, but now that it's gotten tougher, uh, you know, it, it changes things. That's great stuff. Trevor, what do you, what do you have for Justin? So, I mean, you've Justin, you know, again, I'm, they call me a serial stalker because I just look at people's like lead prospects page. Uh, no, we're not being, we're not sponsored yeah. by them yet, but no, I'm not trying to name drop, but, uh, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you've kind of played with the murderers row of a group of guys that have, you know, you know, again, you were drafted, uh, you played in the O, which is fantastic. I mean, looking at the names that you've played with, you know, Bogosian, Downey, uh, I mean, you're, you know, Anisimov, um, I'm, I'm barely probably even scratching the surface of the guys, yeah. but, um, you know, what was, and this is a little bit more of a, you know, I don't know, different question, I guess, to what we're looking for, but, uh, what was really like those guys compared to yourself? What, what do you think was the difference between them continuing their career or their continuing their development, yeah. um, compared to someone like yourself? And again, I'm not trying to yeah, knock no, you down no, no, or anything no. of that nature. I mean, no, I, I, you've I, I, accomplished I more than big mistake what's... if you knock this guy down. Hey, we're family, I've seen man. the videos. I'm not going to knock him down. That's for sure. Unless I've run into him, yeah. he's not looking. No, the, the biggest thing. I mean, it's it's really one thing is is skating. I just you know, and especially with the game now, just how fast it was. I just was not fast enough. Uh, you know, like I had pretty good edge work. I could protect the puck decently. You know, think the game well enough and and make plays it was just my uh you know when you put me in a, a straight line race against someone like jordan stall like it ain't happening you know he takes three strides between blue to blue <laughs> it takes me about 50 so and uh you know same thing guys like bogosian like they were just 
phenomenal skaters. Uh, I think an impressive one, maybe uh, Steve Downing wasn't the greatest skater. Like that was kind of the knock on him. Was he going to make it? Cause he wasn't an overly, you know, one smooth, of the wasn't overly yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> but he, his hockey IQ, his like, his just determination, his will to make plays happen. And he was just playing at a higher level, like mentally than anybody else. Um, so yeah, but definitely, you know, aside, aside from him, I would say skating was the big thing. And, and it's even more now, like even some of those guys that were fast when I was playing with them or playing against them aren't necessarily fast now, you know, with how, how, how speedy the game is now, how everybody just, the training so much better, the, the selection process of, uh, as you're growing up, they're, they're looking for more of those fast kids and, and it shows like a triple A AAA team is going to pick uh, you know, pick more of their kids based on speed. And then it just keeps going. The OHL team or the college team is going to do the same thing. So I think those are the biggest things uh, would, would just be the speed of it. That was actually going to lead into my other yeah. question. Um, more or less, you know, with today's as a coach yourself, what do you think and you alluded to, you know, the speed of the game, what do you think is being done now correctly you know, just as a coach and that you're seeing, not even not using yourself as an example. You can't, if you want, I don't, yeah. it doesn't bother me one way or the other, but uh, what are you seeing nowadays? That's different than when you played that you think maybe, Hey, that might've gave me a better development or might've just developed more kids. Yeah. I would think, I mean, it, the reality is the game hasn't changed that much. Like for all the, for all the talk about, Oh, everything's different. It's a new game. It's a new, this, it is faster, but like, especially when you watch, like if you watch NHL playoffs, it, it's the same hockey. Like it's, yeah, there's a bit more speed to it, but it's getting pucks in. It's, it's getting behind defensemen. It's, you know, being able to pick pucks off the wall, establishing cycles. Uh, it's just a bit more structured now and a bit more detailed. Uh, I would say the real difference between when I was growing up and it started really when I was right around that, that age, but um, it's just the, I guess the more knowledge and, and focus on your off ice development uh, where it was like, when I was a teenager, you, you just found anybody that, you know, a lot of people weren't working out. And if you did, you just found somebody that like they had a, whatever they had, they had some weights and you did, you know, you did, uh, probably an Andy Tremble Hulk Hogan workout and just pumped out chest. <laughs> and, and yeah, like I, I recall my, you know, first trainer and did all summer with them. And then I went to skate and I'm like, I can't, I could not move. Like, I'm like, I, I feel like a dump truck out here. So I, all that has evolved so much. And I think it's going to just, obviously it's just going to continue just like anything else. It's going to continue to evolve. Like I think where you've seen, uh, it changing a bit is a lot of people went into it and started doing training and like I said, weren't doing it properly. And then the injuries just went way up where guys were having, you know, labral tears in their, in their hips or their, their shoulders. So I think it's, it's about training smart. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, the skill development, there was all, we always did that stuff. Like there was always skill development working on it in the summer and stuff like that. I think it's just more emphasized now. Like you just, everybody's going to be doing it. Some people were taking the summer off back then, whereas people aren't necessarily now, especially like uh, I'm talking when they get to, you know, 14 plus, like obviously the, the eight, nine year olds, it's, it's pretty similar to what it was before. That, that's great stuff, Justin. 
And I want to, you know, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, for you guys who don't know, Justin Soriel is one of the best coaches, youth coaches in the state of New Hampshire and the best trainer in the greater Hookson area. That's it. That's it. Can I, before well, thanks I, for coming on, buddy. Yeah, go ahead. Before I go, I got one other difference. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to be quick here between uh, the two. I was trying to remember what, when I was thinking about it, um, the names of, of teams, like, and what I mean by that is like the, the level names. Like I, I remember when I first moved to New Hampshire, I was working for a tournament company and the guy wanted me to call, you know, cold call, it was tough stuff, but cold call coaches <laughs> and, and try to get them into his tournaments. And I had no idea who I was calling because I would look at a program and they would have the, like the same age group, triple a tier one and elite. And I was like, I don't know which one, like he, he's trying to run a, a, a top team tournament. I'm like, I don't know which one, those all sound like phenomenal teams. So that <laughs> was like complete culture yeah. shock for me. Cause I was, like I said to you at the beginning, it was triple a double a single a, you know, I think there was select if you had a populated area and then house league and it just was cut and dry. Whereas here there is a lot of that just, uh, I, don't, I hate to say, you know, smoke and mirrors of, of naming something, uh, whatever, whatever premier elite, you know, tier one. It's, it, we're, it's, we're a no bullshit uh, podcast. Yeah. So you can say whatever <laughs> you want to. There is a lot of smoke and mirrors yeah. and sneak oil sales. Like imagine Sorry, like I, I'm involved in the industry and, and it, sometimes I look at a team and I don't know what they're going to be like. Imagine if you're a parent and you never played hockey or, you know, you're, you're, it's your first kid and your first run through youth hockey and you're trying to figure out what team your kid should be on. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you figure out the landscape. And you see that happen where a lot of times you look at a kid and you're like, why is that kid on that team? You know, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. And he's like, well, I, you know, I was told it was a tier one team. And it's, so I think that's, that's something that if I had, if I had one kind of magic wand to, to wave over in the States, I think, because I don't think you can really change. Like I talked about, you you have private owned rinks and, and private owned programs. I don't think you'll ever change to that necessarily the similar model that, that Southern Ontario has where there's a, you know, my hometown had like nine or eight sheets, you know, uh, I don't think you'll ever get to that. But if I had a magic wand, it would be just maybe USA hockey saying like, you can only call your teams this. And if, <clears throat> you know, and, and you can only have X amount of this level team. And, and just so it gave some sort of, yeah, I guess, simplicity to a parent who's signing their kid up and, and doesn't know. Because like I, like I said, if I go in, my kid, let's say he wants to play lacrosse and there's that many options, I'm not going to know what to do. So anyway, that was my last little thought of uh, what's no, that's a great point. Them. Great point. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thanks for coming on, Justin. Yeah. I appreciate the, uh, the input and the feedback. And uh, make sure you check out info on justin and the new hampshire avalanche next time you're uh, up in new hampshire thanks buddy all right thank you guys thanks justin all right, take care all right so trevor what'd you think of uh coach soriano's responses uh first off thanks a lot for coming on uh coach justin i uh really appreciated it um please don't beat me up um but uh, I know he can. <laughs> I mean, it's not that, but, uh, you know, I really, I mean, I enjoyed hearing what, you know, again, what he had to say, especially about the development, uh, you know, talking about the off ice aspect of it, um, you know, moving up 
you know, how it's all changed. And again, just hearing his experience with it, um, just the difference between the two states, you know, not states, but the two countries, um, and then just how things are going now compared to when he played. You know, again, I, I thought it was very insightful. Um, and it just tell it just shows you where the game's really going. And again, you know, ten years from now, what is the game going to look like? How is how is the development of the players going to look? I it can only get get better. I mean, it's not that it's in a bad spot now, but I really enjoyed hearing about that. And um, you know, that was my takeaway. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I really like you know some of the, the the feedback on the difference between the American and the Canadian style of development. Um, you know, it's really interesting to me. You know, I, I grew up in a, in basically a Jersey Shore town, right? You know, where you watch, you know, you've seen the Jersey Shore, the show. So uh, it's like, cabs those, are here. Those are my people, you know, like, uh, so hockey wasn't like a priority down there, but we had a good, the Brick Hockey Club has had some great players. Like Jim Dow, James Van Riemsdyk, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Um, and then had my, my dad ran the Ocean Hockey School for, for many years, and that had some great players come through it. Uh, so there was kind of a, a unique culture to the to the brick Ocean Ice Palace Brick Hockey Club when I was growing up, and there was a good incubator for developing hockey players. But now, you know, so much has changed, and you got to stay current and modern with the changes. And it's so interesting to see the changes they've done in Canada and the changes we're doing here in the U.S. And I think that if you combine both, you can probably create a pretty dynamic program. Um, one of the things I like best that he mentioned was talking about really the off-ice stuff, and he's one of the best trainers, certainly here in New Hampshire, and certainly one in, in the business. What uh, what are you doing in your program, Trevor, with off-ice training? So what I mentioned was uh, earlier, we currently use the Illinois Bone and Bone and Joint Institute. Um, they come in and they basically run just off-ice sessions of plyometrics, you know, a lot of different type of stretching. When I would run my own off-ice sessions, it was a lot of, you know, athletic-based training, not just for, I mean, there was hockey focus in there, so we would do some type of, like, stick handling, and, you know, you'd have to do different things, you know, maybe you're jumping up and down on one foot while you're stick handling, you know, uh, a green biscuit, or, you know, you're doing toe drags, uh, or you're doing a triangle-type move, something like that. Um, Usually, I would, again just like I would with, you know, a skill session is I would run stations and we were, I was fortunate uh, with the last club that I was with, we had our own off ice. We, it was called the shelf. And basically up there we had our two shoot, shooting lanes um, with synthetic ice that I had the players shooting on. I would have an agility ladder set up and then I would have a passing station and then a stick handling. So basically you were in each station for, you know, 10 minutes, and then we would do, like, a group stretch. We would do just group plyometrics to begin with. Um, But I think it also depends on the age group. So that was, you know, I I would tailor it. It was all somewhat around the same type stuff, but, you know, I wasn't really having, you know, my squirts take slap shots, working on that. Um, I wasn't having, you know, we weren't adding any weights or any even light weights to, you know, the younger kids. But the older kids... They could do some things with weights, and again, it was more or less just trying to keep them, um, you know, keep them, try to build quickness, try and build a little bit of strength, and as well as endurance. Um, and that was more my philosophy on doing the off-ice, because again, you're, they're there for hockey. But again, I mean, you're using the agility ladder. We're doing stuff that I was picking up that soccer team, you know, players are using, and, you know, football 
just hoping that that would translate on the ice, you know, at least for their uh, foot movement. But what does your uh, off ice typically look like? Well, you know, the junior level, um, it's mostly yeah, it's you know, strength, conditioning, and power. It's a, it's a it's a little bit different. But I think, you know, I coached the 16s for two years prior to this year. And we would do a lot of that stuff too. Like, during, especially during our training camp, we would incorporate a lot of stick handling and a lot of, you know, passing with green biscuits and things like that that I think that when you get older, it doesn't resonate as much. Like, the kids don't feel like there's, you know, because they, maybe they stick handle at home or things like that. But when you get kids who are in school all day and then they come to hockey after, uh, doing that kind of stuff is really great. And I think that, um, man, that, that's tough. If you're doing that at U8, U10, U12, you're doing off ice that is like athletic movements plus uh, some stick handling work, you're going to see a huge jump in your kids by the end of the year. So I think that's really, really critical. Absolutely. I There's a family that I've worked with for, I coached three of the five, six, seven children. Um, and But they were, I mean, all hockey players, all just dedicated, great kids, um, actually one of the kids, uh, was, was playing for the girls world junior team, uh, this 18 team this last year, and she'll be playing in, I forgot what, one of the Ivy league schools next year. But anyhow, um, she, they were just, they're fanatics. You'd see them at the rink. And when one sibling was on the ice, you know, the, some of the other ones who were waiting around would just be sitting there stick hailing, you know, and they would be doing drills that, yeah. you know, I'm, Dad, mom or, or not mom, but dad might be like, hey, just do this or that or whatever. But, I mean, they were doing stuff. And, again, they were some of the, you know, they had great hands, uh, good vision because they're doing the drills with their heads up. I mean, yeah, the older kids, they don't t- typically see the benefit, even though we as coaches know that there is, especially doing that stuff off ice because, A, it's cheaper. Uh, but also you can really kind of break down that technique. But I've – I really like doing a little bit of mix of everything because, again, I mean, the ADM, even though they're trying to build, you know, long-term, you know, athletes, just in everything, um, you know, I, I think it's, impar- you know, a lot of stuff translates from one sport to the other and doing drills that, you know, you might do it on a soccer field or you might do on basketball court, whatever, lacrosse. I mean, it all tra- a lot of it translates. So that was always my outlook on it. But obviously when you get, you're doing the stick handling and stuff, that's a little bit more hockey oriented well, i think that brings us to a great segue here now we've talked a lot about you know american hockey players canadian hockey players so new five myths of the day who are our top five american and who are our top five canadian players of all time and i think we set a we set a a, a, a parameter here one rule Gretzky's, yeah. one rule is gretzky's on the list so it's top five after Gretzky, because he's in there for Canada. Own. Yep. Yeah, for Canada. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, he's going to be on there for both of us. It's a no-brainer. He's got a thousand more points than anybody has has points. Right. He's, he's on the list. It's so like you want to go first or you want to go second? What's up for you? What do you want? What do you want here? What do we? Uh, how about we do this? Let's start with U.S. Oh, we'll start with Canadian-born players. But what if? Uh, let's see if we. I'll say one, and we'll see if they're on both our lists. I have a feeling they okay. will be. Um, like it. If it's not, though, we can see if we agree or disagree and why. Uh, so, I like it. All right. So, obviously, Gretzky out of the way. Um, I'm going to add Mario Lemieux. I mean, for sure. that's He's got to be on your list. Number 66 in the 
Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, just his blend of size and skill uh, as well. I mean, hockey vision, of course, but, you know, I, I, there's no, there's no, you cannot have a top Canadian hockey player list without Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux was sick. He was just, he was sick. <laughs> so yes, he's on my list. He, okay. We got, we're saying we got, he's our number. Well, he's one B, right? Cause yeah, he's one A, Mario's one B. Who's number two then? Well, that's you got to go with Bobby Orr. I mean, that's again Bobby Orr. I mean, he revolutionized how defense was played or the defensive position was played. Not only just as a defenseman, but carrying the puck up the ice. Uh, you know, sadly, obviously injuries cut his career short. But he's got to be like one C then if you're going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, total complete agreement. Uh, and like you know, you watch those videos uh, of his game videos. He's still unbelievable, like an unbelievable skater. One of one of the best skaters of all time. And then you see the skates that he was skating on. <laughs> My God, he put him in something that they wear now. It's like he would be so unbelievable. So I yes, think, I think for sure, like him and Lemieux could, you know, as you talk about different eras of players, you know, and like basketball is a perfect one where they go back and forth. Like, oh, could Jordan play in this era, or could LeBron play in you know that era, whatever? Like, I don't think anybody on the list that I have could. Could I know they could all play in all eras of the game? Yes, but me uh, too. Okay, okay, so who do you got then? Uh, who's your who would be your four? Well, we're using Gretzky, so who would be your three? Yes, so my three is uh, it's a little bit early for sure, but I've never seen a player this this skilled outside of maybe Lemieux. Uh, but he's the fastest guy in the league, he's got the best hands in the league. Uh, now he's the best goal scorer in the league because he decided to be the best goal scorer this year. <laughs> Connor McDavid. Yeah, I actually kept – I don't disagree. I've kept McDavid off my list, though, because I still think it's a little young. But there's no there's no doubt that he's going to end up as one of the best. I mean, there's um, there's no reason why. I just think longevity-wise, I went with a little bit different. But, I mean, he's like the human – you know, joystick out there. He's just like a video game, like 99 overall playing against guys that are 66 overall. It's uh he's phenomenal. Lot, so I, but uh, I, I, I think then, if he were, if he retired today, he's in the hall of fame. Like if he retired today, he's in the hall of fame. So uh, that's why he's on my, I list. can't disagree with that. You know, I so I didn't, I didn't number it really. Uh, but I did put, uh, yep. I put Sid, the kid on there. I put uh, Crosby up there, and I think that one was more or less longevity. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, he he was basically, you know, him and Ovechkin were the best players in the world, um, and they have been for the last, what is he now, 36, so probably almost 18 years. Um, yeah. And the fact that he's been able to not only be – he wasn't a, he's not a one-dimensional player uh, where you yeah. could say, you know, Gretzky didn't really play defense too much. Or Lemieux, he did, but he didn't really play too much defense. Where you can say Crosby over the years, could he have gotten more points if he actually sacrificed more on offense than on defense? And I think he could for sure. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but he just, you know, overall, he's got to be one of the greatest Canadian players of all time. Yeah, I had him at five on my list. And, and I remember seeing him like his second or third year in the league, and I said, this guy's he's Steve Eiserman, but he's more skilled. And that's what he's become later on in his career. Like he's a gritty, two-way, tough to play against. 
you know, grinding center minute, but he also can score 100 points. So I had a number five on my list uh, between between McDavid and Crosby. There was one player though. That's the only difference probably on our list. Uh, well, here, let me ask this. So I added a goalie to my list. I have a goalie too. And my goalie was Patrick Waugh. Okay. Which I'm okay. assuming yours is going to be Martin Brodeur because you're a Devils fan. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yep. Correct. So this is why I chose Wah over Brodeur and is because I think my opinion, both again, Hall of Fame goalies, great goalies. I think Brodeur, though, benefited a little bit from the system that he got to play in. Don't get me wrong. He played for some really bad Devils teams early in his career. Where I think Wah, he played, and again, very well could have been played for some defensive teams. Uh, I mean, it is nice when you've got like Rob Blake and Adam Foote in front of you, but I don't really remember the avalanche being the left wing lock type team um where you had Brodeur. now again i, I know it's it's tough because i and i knew as soon as i said i was like oh he's andrew's gonna be pissed he's not gonna like it but I, with you being a devil's <laughs> guy but uh wh- why what do you think uh Brodeur better than Wa or any of the other goalies like we could have picked so he he's the only Brodeur is the only player, only goaltender out of my all the ten players I, I picked. He's the only goaltender who made the list. Um, Wah, you know that ninety two ninety three Cup run, he won ten overtime games. He could steal games by himself. But when you look at like the overall longevity of his career, Brodeur has every record. He's like the Gretzky of of goaltenders. I mean, he has wins, he has shutouts, he has three Stanley Cup rings. He has four Vezinas. I mean, and then the biggest thing with him is he revolutionized the game. They uh, right. they put the trapezoid in because he the way right. he handled the puck. I mean, the guy scored three goals, you know, whereas Wah, like, did the spin move at the neutral zone <laughs> the <whole> time. <laughs> he tried pissed to handle off the Gretzky. Puck, and you know? pissed off Gretzky if you watch that yes. video. I think Gretzky was throwing a hissy fit. I Again, it's... I don't disagree. Again, I don't disagree. I kind of just went with Wad just because I felt, again, especially with what he did with Montreal. Not that those teams weren't loaded, but um, and yeah, Broder's got all the records, so it's like one of those things where now if we were to sit here and say, okay, let's let's talk about Czech players. I would for sure say Hasek was, in my opinion, maybe I feel he's better, but he was more fun to watch than all of them. But maybe that's a different discussion for a different day. We can maybe do Team Europe later, but. Uh, so I guess yeah, there's one player. I told my we... kids one time. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, so so there was a series. Uh, the Devils like first long in that in that run in the '94 uh, when they played the Rangers later in that that summer. But mm-hmm. uh, that '94 series, they played Buffalo, and it was Buffalo versus the Devils, and it was a four overtime game, and it was a one nothing game, and Hasek stopped seventy shots. And Brodeur, led, he let in one goal. He stopped like 55 shots, but he let in one goal. And he was the losing goaltender. It's, kind of, it's nuts. Right. Who was the uh, who was the overtime winning? Who scored that goal? Do you remember? Davey Hannon. Remember Dave Hannon? Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Classic Rick Jenneret call. Classic. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, so that means then we got another player that uh, – we both disagree, or we didn't have on our list, so there's a little disagreement. But uh, who did, who was your number five? 
Well, Crosby was my number five. So McDavid was my McDavid was my three. Brodeur was my four. Crosby was my five. Who's your guy missing on that list? So I actually took. Uh, so I went, obviously we took Gretzky out. So I had Crosby, Lemieux, or Wah. And I put down as number five for me was Stevie Eiserman. Yeah, I mean, he's he's either six or seven for me. He's right there, you know. Right. And again, it was more or less the fact that he was so good offensively playing for bad Detroit teams. And then he was just so good all around. Again, it's like, it's a, it's Crosby just a little bit later on in his career, he turned it into that two way player. And so those are, that was my top five. Again, you could easily throw in again, Bordeaux. I mean, Messier coffee, anybody in those, but Absolutely. let's see. You, Joe Sackick. Oh, Sack. Yeah, for sure. So let's see uh U.S. Po- players though. I'll let you go first on this one. Okay. Let me add a pull on my list here. My number one. And I hate doing this because I'm a devil's fan, right? But my number one, the greatest American player, in my opinion, is Brian Leach. I knew you were going to say that as soon as you said it's the Devils. I had him on the list for sure. Uh, I There's no disagreement here on him being the best best U.S.-born defenseman. Just the you know longevity. They... Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, you know, everybody's talking about Kale McCarr and the way he can – the way he skates and the way he can generate offense and um, the way he can run a power play. And you watch Kel McCarr. And the first time I watched Kel McCarr, I said, that's Brian Leach. That's Brian Leach. It's just an updated version with, you know, better style. Like, right. <laughs> Brian Leach, like, just to tape his ankles and stuff. But like a uh, head of hair. But he has this, <laughs> yeah, totally. But he's the same exact type of player. He can generate and drive offense make plays in the offensive zone like he's he's dynamic so that's my number one guy so my number one don't get me wrong leach is definitely in he's in my top five but uh if i were to actually pick a number one i would have to go with patty kane and maybe that's the homer in me but i think in the long run he's going to for sure be the number one point scorer for all american born players and i think that his style of game is actually going to continue um, I know everybody's like this year. Oh, he's having a bum year. Is this the down like downward slope for him? Do the guys just he he's a student, so much of a student of the game. Um, does he have the speed that he once had? No, but he's just so astute. He knows where to put himself positionally. He knows you know. So he's just cerebral with where guys are. So I went with Patty Kane uh, as my number one. Um, was he on your list? He's my number two. Okay. All right. Number two. All right. Who did you then have for number three? I bet you we might have the same player too. So I got Leach, Kane, and then my number three was Chris Chelios. Okay. So Chelios was in mine as well. Who was your number three? Uh, well, you were a fan. Well, you were not a fan of him. I'll tell you that. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) But uh, no, for sure. Chelios, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. Longevity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the guy was still, you know, he's, he's an unbelievable player, but, uh, all right. So I, yeah, Chelios, um, I'm going to go, uh, I'll go with my last one. No, I'll, I'll go with the one that I know that you're going to, you might agree with, but I know he 
definitely ruined some uh, probably some nights for you as a uh, uh, or a Devils fan. And that would be uh, Pat Lafontaine. Oh, he's my five, number five. Is he? Oh, all right, all right. Oh, he was awesome. I he was I, awesome. I never had the chance to see him play, you know, live. I mean, just seeing the highlights and stuff. Talk about a career cut short. I mean, he would have been For usually sure. number one if he. Well, most likely he would have been number one if he played uh, his entire. You know, actually didn't have the injury issues and. But as a Devil fan, I mean, you had to be pissed when you went from one Ranger team to the Islanders to Buffalo. I mean, he had every New York team. But, <laughs> but he was unbelievable. I mean, there was very, like, during that time period, there weren't many players that, you know, in the 80s that skated like Pat LaFontaine, who was, like, had such a burst. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, his agility was off the charts compared to some guys who, like, I mean, he was going against defensemen like, Craig Ludwig and Darian Hatcher, guys who are, you know, like who just oh, hammered yeah. you or plodding around or Danica, but no, no disrespect to Danica. Mr. No, Devil, but, yeah. But LaFontaine was just so elusive and, and agile. He was uh, just a dynamic player for sure. All right. I got a feeling I who you know who your number four is, but I'm going to let you say, and I'll let you know if that's who I thought I think it is. I think he's still the number one all-time leading scorer amongst American players, and that's Mike Madonna. That's who I thought you were going to say. And, Who do you uh, got? I uh, I did not take Pretty Boy Mike Madonna. Uh, don't get <laughs> me wrong; another player who is a phenomenal two way player. Um, I actually went with uh, who was for the longest time what number two, number three. I went with Brett Hall actually as my good number, choice. Good choice. Number five, and again, I you could you could swap in Madonna. There's no doubt about that. I think Madonna would have been number six, but. I always grew up, uh, you know, my uncle used to give my aunt a hard time because she loved Mike Madonna and just watching how he skated and he looked so, you know, so nice out there. And he, so we would always call him a pretty boy, this and that. But uh, I uh, I picked Hole only because of his, um, you know, just his, obviously the goal scoring prowess. It's, there's no uh, yeah. shock in there. But um, just how smart he was for the game. And, you know, here's a guy who, is ready to give up hockey because he can't even find a junior team at 18 years old. And a buddy yeah. gives him a call like two weeks before tryouts for some, uh, for a junior B team. He makes it scores like 50 goals that season, does it again the next year and then gets, you know, walks on and plays, I think Minnesota, right? One of the Minnesota teams. Minnesota Duluth. Yeah. Duluth. Yep. Yeah. And then he ends up getting drafted and, you know, <laughs> scores more goals than his dad did in the NHL. Um, so, that was my and and actually I didn't even remember this until I read uh, the Athletic. They were doing their uh, top ninety nine because they would do a hundred, but they knew like okay Gretzky's number one. Uh, he actually played some penalty kill for uh, Scotty Bowman in Detroit, just because of his his smarts in the game. And so that's who uh-huh. I picked. I, I picked Brett Hall. So yeah, it's uh, the Golden Brett. You know, looking at my looking at my list, I. Uh... I'm a big Brett Hall fan. Like he was, he was an awesome player. And like, in terms of like the arsenal of shots he had, like he could score from anywhere in the ice, in the offensive zone. And if you put him with, with an Oates or a Craig Janney or like uh, somebody can get him the puck, holy smokes. But I always kind of thought of him as like, a, he's a dual citizenship guy, you that's know? True. Nah, so, that's true. But he played on the American teams at like the 96 world cup. Yep. He played the Canada cup in 91 with the Americans. So it was always kind of like he's Canadian, but you know that's that's where like in my head yeah. I never thought that one. But I, I no. agree with you. 
No, I mean, I, I that is, it's, I, because I actually had to go back. I was like, I'm pretty sure he played for USA. And I, I was like 99.9, but I was like, I don't want to look like a dumbass and then come on here and be like, oh yeah, Brett Hall. And you're like, uh, he's like probably number eight for Canadians. And I'd be like, oh shit. So, but uh, I didn't want to be that guy. Actually, just unplug myself here. There we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Team Europe would definitely be, you know, would be an interesting one for another episode. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, for sure, I, I, we maybe maybe talk about the um, some of the stuff we've seen in Sweden or Finland or Czech. We got a combine in the Czech Republic this year with the EHL, so maybe we'll do one uh, after that trip. So when do you guys go on that one? That's June eighth uh, to eleventh. It's an EHL combine. It's the first of its kind in. in Velke Popovice, Czech Republic. Wow. And uh, it's going to be fun. I went out there a couple years ago and met some good guys out there. Um, they took me a, a tour of the Kozel Brewery, and I didn't really want to leave. But my <laughs> wife made me come back. Uh, that right. was unfa- unfair. But now I said, I'm taking, we're going to go out there this year. We're going to do a whole league-wide combine. And I'm going to take Bear with me because he's going to get on the ice in that little barn in Velke Popovice, and it'll be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Now, is this open to all any Czech player that would like to come out or is it, uh, I mean, how does that work? Yeah, it's open to really any, I mean, it, that's a great part of that, that location. It's about 30 minutes south of Prague. So it's um, really easy to get to if you live in Austria or you live in Germany or you live in even some of like the, the Baltic states like Latvia and um, Belarus, like, you know, granted there might be some political implications yeah, with I was say, the war in Ukraine, but like it's a really easy place to get to. So um you know, if you're if you're listening and you're in, uh, you know, in a, in a small town in, in the middle of nowhere those, in Europe, yeah, those come on out. Areas, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. right. That's awesome. I I look forward to hearing about that. That'll definitely have to be an episode on its own, of where you're just talking about that. But uh, for sure, no, for sure. I mean, I I, I think I, I I'm pretty much out of everything uh, material wise that I got for tonight. <laughs> well, thanks. For, this has been a great episode, and I think. Uh, if anybody gets a chance, make sure to check out Justin Sorial and his stuff with the with the Avalanche. But really, his uh, his athletic company, Roots Athletic, uh, Roots, Roots Athletes. It's a great training facility here in Hooks at New Hampshire. And like I've said before, he he does an amazing job uh, and has already built quite a name for himself in his short ten years he's been in New Hampshire. So thanks for coming on, Justin. Yeah, thanks again, Justin and uh, Coach. I will uh, talk to you later. Thanks, Trevor. Have a great rest of your night. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.